Anne Graham Lotz from today's message, Jesus is Coming. What time do you think it is? According to God's Word, I think it's time for Jesus to come. And it's time for Living in the Light with Bible teacher Anne Graham Lotz, concluding her message, Jesus is Coming. Here's Anne in today's teaching from Jesus' own words on the second coming of Christ in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said before in verse 29, if the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky before that great and terrible day of the Lord. But Joel chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 6 talks about the moon turning to blood and the sun being darkened before Jesus comes back. And I want to just briefly describe what we call the blood moons, all right? The lunar eclipses, because this to me, and I'm just giving you facts. Four blood moons are considered a tetrod. Four blood moons in a row, a tetrod. And there was one back, uh, I believe, around the crucifixion of Jesus. And I didn't go back that far. But then there's a whole long time there wasn't any more tetrods. The next tetrod is in 1493. And in 1492, if you remember, if you memorize that little poem, Columbus left Spain because Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand had turned out all the Jews. There was a tremendous anti-Semitism, persecution of Jews. There were 300,000 Jews that left Spain. And people believe Christopher Columbus was a Jew. And so he left in order to not only escape that, but to find a free world where they could you know, live in peace and harmony. And so we know the rest of that story. He came to America and America was discovered. And when it was discovered that year, there was a tetrod of blood moons. And the unique thing about the tetrod, the ones that I'm mentioning, there've been lunar eclipses, but these tetrods, the four of them, they occur on the same Jewish feast days. So in that year, 1493-94, right after Columbus discovered America, there was a blood moon on Passover and a blood moon on Feast of Tabernacles, and the next year a blood moon on Passover, and the next year a, a blood moon on the Feast of Tabernacles. So, so the same two feasts, this year and this year, each having a blood moon, all right? And so some people feel in 1493-94 what Israel got, and the blood moons are always considered a harbinger for Israel, a sign of something. And what Israel got in 1493 and 94 was her friend, <laughs> that America was discovered, and I've come to believe that one of our primary purposes for existence as a nation is to be so strong that we could stand beside Israel when she was rebirthed, and we could be sort of like her birth mother, you know, and come alongside her and help her get established and defend her and protect her. And when we no longer do that, if we abandon Israel, then I believe we may be calling judgment on ourselves because in God's economy, the primary purpose for our existence no longer holds true. That's very solemn to me. So next tetrod, listen to me. After 1493-94, a whole long time, there were no tetrods of blood moon until 1949-1950. And what happened in 1948? Israel was reestablished in her ancient homeland with her ancient language and her ancient people and there were four blood moons on the same Jewish feast days. One on Passover, one on Tabernacles. Next year, one on Passover, one on Tabernacles. And Israel got her land. And then the next tetrod of blood moons was 1967. Remember what happened when they had that six-day war? And Israel got her city. And Jerusalem was reunited. 
and you have the tetrad of blood moons on Passover and tabernacles one year and Passover and tabernacles the next year. The next tetrad, four blood moons last year on Passover and tabernacles and this year on Passover and tabernacles. I don't know what Israel is going to get, but I've heard it guessed maybe she would get her temple. So I don't know what's going on, but I know those are signals. And Genesis 1 says that the sun, moon, and stars were created not only to give light, but to be signals and signs. And that word can be linked to feasts and festivals and Passover and tabernacles and Passover and tabernacles. And God is trying to get our attention from the heavens that declare his glory. So unique, I can't remember what the odds against that happening. And a solar eclipse is considered a harbinger for the Gentile nation. So this is a time to wake up. So when you look at the signs in the environmental world, the way they're ratcheting up, increasing in frequency and intensity, what time do you think it is? I think it's time for Jesus to come. Personal signs, verse 36. Some cynic here is saying, and nobody knows that day or hour. You know, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Listen to me. He said you couldn't know the day or the hour, but he didn't say you couldn't know the generation. All right. And he gave us enough signs. He says, don't let this come like a thief in the night. So he gave us enough signs so we could know the generation. So personal signs, indifference to God's word. Verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Nothing wrong with eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, except they did it all without God. They didn't acknowledge him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't honor him. They didn't respect him. They didn't obey him. They were going to shop in the mall, going to their ball games, wondering what entertainer was going out with what other entertainer, what they wore on the red carpet, you know? And they had no idea. They were just living on the edge of an abyss that opened up and swallowed them and took them away in the flood. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And I go to the mall, or I go to a ball game, or see people so preoccupied with such superficial things. And I say, oh, how can we tell them what time it is? You know, so many things that they're so preoccupied with and worried about and talking, it just doesn't matter, does it? Who cares what kind of car you drive at the end? Who, kind of, who cares where you live or, you know, what your position? Who cares? The very end. But there will be an indifference to God, an indifference to his words. So let me ask you, how many people do you know really care about God? How many people really love his word? Reading, I'm talking about within the church, <laughs> not just in the secular world. And in this chapter four times, Jesus says, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. How are you not going to be deceived? Because you know the real thing. 
You read your Bible, you apply the Bible, you obey the Bible, you saturate it, you eat it, Jesus said. Like Ezekiel, swallow it. Don't just get it in your head, you swallow it. So it becomes a part of your life. You're saturated in the Word of God, and you'll know when the counterfeit comes. So don't be deceived. You will be if you're not in the Word. And it's going to get so clever at the end. Jesus said, watch out, or the very elect may be deceived. So saturate yourself in the Word of God. There's nothing you can do that's more important unless it's to go back and stay in the Word every day and then impart the Word to somebody else. It's the Word that will keep us from being deceived. And the Holy Spirit within us, that watchman. You know, sometimes when I'm listening, in fact, I just spoke at a group, and it was an interesting group, and one reason I went is because my grandnephew was a part of it, and, and I accepted, and I've never been in a group like that before. And there were some very dear people that I met, really sweet. But I'm telling you, the watchman on the inside of me did not open the door to anything that was going on. And he gave me a message, and I gave it out as clearly as I could, and I warned them not to be deceived, and I felt that even the things that were happening in this meeting I was a part of was a deception. So the watchman, pay attention to the watchman on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit. And there'll be times, and you won't be able to know why. You couldn't explain it, but there's just something inside that says, this isn't right, something's not right, something's a little strange. And the watchman is just guarding your heart and your mind. Pay attention to him. He's the Holy Spirit who guides you into all truth, and he's the Holy Spirit who will let you know when something's not true, something's not right. So personal signs, indifference to God and his word, deception, um, Paul will give you other ones, you know, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. Oh my goodness, do we not see that in our society? So, so in the personal category, what time do you think it is? According to God's word, I think it's time for Jesus to come. The global category to me is the most exciting, but I want you to see what Jesus said. Verse 32, and, that, and you know, I don't like Bibles that have his words in red letters because all of God's word is God's word, right? But there's something about the words of Jesus that's sort of like it's a verily, verily. You know, I just want to take note. This is Jesus saying in verse 32, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And the fig tree in the Old Testament represents Israel. A few days ago, he was talking to his disciples, and he used the fig tree to represent Israel. I believe in this parable, the fig tree represents Israel. And he's saying Israel would be dormant. She wouldn't have any leaves. From 70 AD to 1948, Israel was dormant. She had no leaves. There was no life there. She didn't exist as a nation. And then in 1948, she put forth leaves, didn't she? Little tendrils of growth and life and... Isaiah says, who can believe that a nation would be born in a day? But on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. She was established in the family of nations as a nation with her ancient language and her descendants of her ancient people on her ancient land. That's a miracle. And we're so used to knowing about Israel, we don't stop to think of the phenomena that her existence is only God could put her there. The incredible thing for me that makes this very personal, 
I was born in May 1948, and I believe that if I live out my natural lifetime, I will live to see the return of Jesus. Because he said, the generation that sees this take place, the generation that sees the rebirth of the nation of Israel, is the generation that's the last. So look up. I'm old, <laughs> and I'm facing the end of my life. But I believe if I just hang on. And live out my natural lifetime, which in biblical terms maybe is four more years. I'm going to see the return of Jesus, not based on what I hope or what I want or what I feel, based on what He said. Okay. And that's a global sign: the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And the second global sign is a worldwide evangelism. Verse 14. Isn't this thrilling? So I'm going to read it, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And after my birth, in about 1950 or so, after World War II, the church got a global awareness, and that's when your evangelical associations and organizations. Were established, like the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, like Campus Crusade for Christ, like Young Life, like Youth for Christ, like InterVarsity, like the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They were. Have you ever thought about that? They're all birthed at about the same time, and they were to. Their purpose is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just giving the church arms and tentacles and reaching further than the organized church could. But the organized church also had a global awareness, and so they were sending out missions teams and organizations. and And the gospel today is being preached to the whole world. It says a testimony to all nations. It doesn't say that every single person in the world will hear the gospel, but that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. And today, for the first time in human history. The gospel is being preached to the whole. The whole world can hear the gospel either through their first language or their second language or their third language, either in a live presentation or a written presentation or something on the internet or something on ham radio. They can hear the gospel. That's a phenomena. And yes, I know they're unreached people groups, and there are reasons for that. But the whole world, generally speaking, today for the first time in human history, is hearing the gospel. And Jesus said. Then, the end would come. Are we living in then? Barred time. Jesus is coming. You look at the global signs. What time do you think it is? It's time for Jesus to come. It's time to watch. You take these categories. And you can add categories of your own. You know. And then you read your newspaper, and you get it online, and watch that night, and you just begin to collect your data, and put it in the examples that Jesus gave, so that you yourself decide what time you think it is. I know it's time to watch. All right, I know it's time to watch. Don't be deceived. Don't let it catch you like a thief because you're asleep and you're not watching. It's time to watch, and it's time to work. Jesus said in verse forty-five, "Who then is the faithful, wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. It's time to work for Jesus and to me personally. When he says 
It's good for us to give them their food at the proper time, and it's God's word that's the food. This is the bread of life. And he's saying it would be good for you if you go home and you open your home and you have a Bible study or you take the scriptures to work and you can take a verse or something and just share it with your coworker. What you learned this weekend, teach your children in Sunday school instead of all those little pamphlets. Teach the word. If you're a preacher, a pastor, preach the word. This is a time to work for him. It's day. And while the world is melting down, people are afraid. And maybe somebody whose heart has been hardened would be willing to listen to you now because they're afraid, they're unsettled, they feel the oppression, they feel the stuff that's going on, they don't know what it is. Maybe now they'll listen to you when you tell them that in the midst of everything that's happening, they can have peace. They can have joy that's not in their circumstances. They can have hope for the future. They can have a reason to get up in the morning. And his name is Jesus. Oh, this is a time to work. It's not a time to pull back. It's a time to seize the opportunity and to work. And thirdly, it's time, in fact, I would just quote 2 Timothy 4, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Recall people to the cross. Do you remember? By your own example. We're not pointing our finger at them. We're at the cross. We just invite them to join us <laughs> that they might be forgiven and cleansed and made right with God and have the fullness of his blessing upon blessing upon blessing in their lives. And it's time to walk with him. And I'm going to take this from Second Peter. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Walk with him while you're working. Don't forget to walk. When you walk with God, you walk at his pace. That's step-by-step step obedience to his word that you're making time every day to read, apply to your life so you can be obedient and live it out. And you do that faithfully day after day after day. And you walk in his direction. That means surrendering your will to him. You don't go off in your own direction. You don't try to get him to go in your direction. But you surrender your will to him and you say, God, I give you my life. I'll go in the direction you have for me. And you walk with God. If Noah had not been walking with God, he wouldn't have heard God impart to him what was on God's heart. Man, you know, when we pray, how often we pray because we want to tell God what's on our hearts. I think it's time we got on our knees and said, God, what's on your heart? What do you want to impart to me? And he imparted to Noah that judgment was on his mind. The day of the Lord is coming, Noah. I'm going to bring a flood and destroy the whole world. But salvation from judgment is also on my mind. So build an ark. Preach righteousness to your generation. Tell people how they can be saved. Invite them to come into the ark. And if Noah hadn't done it, his family wouldn't have been saved. And you and I wouldn't be here. Whose salvation depends on you walking with God. Every day reading your Bible. Every day applying it. Every day obeying it. Every day living it out. Imparting it in a prayerful, sensitive way to the Holy Spirit that God might impart to you who it is that he wants you to go to, share the gospel with, who it is he wants you to go to, to encourage. Maybe they're just 
barely hanging on in their Christian life. I find so many believers like that. They're barely hanging on. And God will just bring me alongside and say a word, give them a verse, encourage them, something from my iPad and my devotions in the morning, and I send it to them. And it's just what they need to make it one more day. We need each other in these last days, don't we? We need to encourage each other, come alongside each other, build each other up. I don't know that we can make it without each other. It's not a time for meanness, jealousy, rudeness, divisions. You know, it's a time to come together in unity and stand shoulder to shoulder and pray for each other. It's a time to watch for Him and a time to work for Him and a time to walk with Him. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming and listen to me. If I'm wrong, and usually I don't qualify this because I know he's coming, all right? <laughs> but if I'm wrong, he's still coming for you. You will meet him at your death. When you step into eternity, he's coming for you one way or the other. So will he come at your death as your savior to welcome you into his heavenly home that he's been preparing for you? Or will he come as your judge and you'll be separated from him forever and ever? That's your choice. But I'll tell you what, you make sure. You know if he were to come today, either your death because you're in a car accident going home or you have some heart attack or something, or this afternoon the sky unfolds and the trumpet blows and we're all caught up in the air to meet with him, that you're ready to go home at any moment whenever it happens. That's the point of this. Whenever Jesus comes for you, you're ready because you're watching and you're working and you're walking. And you're imparting the truth of God's word to somebody else to the best of your ability, sharing the hope of the gospel. What a message to give out at the end of human history. I've thanked God so many times that he has entrusted to me the privilege of living at the end, things that saints and prophets long before us would have longed to be a part of, even with all the difficulty and the hardship and the oppression and the struggle and the attack and the opposition and the persecution. But to see the very end and to see the answers to prayer. So living at the end of human history, you and I have the privilege of seeing incredible things in a negative way and in a positive way and to be a part of it. Don't sit on the sidelines. Ask God to show you what your work is and then do it. Don't rend your garments. Rend your heart. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Five minutes before you see Jesus face to face, what will you wish you'd done differently? He hasn't come yet. And I'll tell you also, I have thanked him for that. There's still time to get things right. Still time to serve him. Still time to let him make up for you the years the locusts have eaten. Still time to rend your heart and follow through on what he's told you to do. So live your life so that five minutes before you see Jesus, you have no regrets from this moment forward. What has God said to you? If he has said something to you that requires action on your part, either a confession of sin, rending your heart, putting something out of your life, putting something back in your life, some aspect of service, then would you right now name it in your heart, in your mind, just verbalize it mentally? And then would you say, yes, sir, 
Jesus is Lord. And he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So if your decision right now is to say, yes, Lord, I make you Lord of all of my life, including whatever he's pinpointed, maybe more than one thing, and you say, yes, Lord, I'm not going to rend my garment. I'm going to rend my heart, and I'm going to follow through and do this by your grace and with your help, but I will do it. So, Lord God, whatever you have said, we'll do. Wherever you send, we'll go. Whatever you tell us to say, we'll say. We surrender to you. Use us for your glory, we pray. Plan to join us every week on Living in the Light as Ann Graham Lotz brings her insights and teaching from God's Word. And don't forget to take advantage of the many free resources at anngramlots.org, including Ann's daily blog that makes a perfect devotional reading. Thank you for being with us today.